clearing up subversity here with Dan Zhang. The opinions expressed on the show are not necessarily those of the regents of the University of California, nor the management of KUCI. Uh, this is Dan Zhang with Subversity. And today we're going to be uh, looking back at um, the Vietnam War and uh, AP reporter who covered it and made one of the iconic photographs from that period. And with us is the director of a new a documentary on Eddie Adams, um, a war correspondent who actually covered 13 wars, uh, but he's best known for his uh, photograph that was taken uh, on the streets of Cholong in um, Ch the Chinatown of Saigon in 1968. And with us is the director of the film, um, Susan Morgan Cooper, who's has directed a new film called An Unlikely Weapon. Hello. Uh, hello. <laughs> Thank you for being on the show. You're very welcome. Uh, I have to say your film is awesome, and uh, it really um, brings to life the, um, s the commitment of Eddie Adams uh, to war photography and to journalism. And you have a lot of top uh, journalists also on the program reminiscing about him. Yeah. Uh, but I wanted to ask you first, maybe, how how did you get started on this project? Uh, well, I've always been fascinated by war photographers, how they go into war zones and lay down their lives to bring us back the story in pictures. And um, I made my first narrative film called Stringers, um, about 10 years ago about a tormented photographer in Vietnam and um, strangely enough for my character's work I used the photos, uh, some of the photos of Eddie Adams and never would I have dreamed that years later um, his uh, sister-in-law Cindy Lou Atkins would come to me and say that they were interested in making a documentary. Oh wow. Mm -hmm. And did you... Uh did you uh, contact him right away? Uh, uh, yes. Um, because of Cindy Lou, uh, she became my uh, co-producer on the project. I then uh, flew to New York to meet with Eddie, and um, we just bonded immediately. You know, um, if I share anything with Eddie Adams, it's... it's uh, an interest in oppressed and displaced people. And um, we formed a quick bond, and I said to him, um, so you, you want me to do the documentary? And he said, yeah. And I said, so you like me? And he said, yeah. I said, do you want to tell me why you like me? And he said, no, I just do. And that was it. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. so I hit it off. Yes. Uh, I'm amazed at some of the documentary footage you have on there. Uh, how were you able to discover or uncover that? Um, of him walking, for instance, on the streets uh, of New York. Well, that footage actually was shot by one of his assistants, and I was so grateful to uncover that because I don't know if you're aware of this. Once I had committed to do the documentary, I um, flew to Italy to work on another movie, and while I was there, I got the news that Eddie had Lou Gehrig's disease. Right. And I was totally devastated because um, I thought, how can I capture 
this larger-than-life character on screen now, not being able to have him in my back pocket. And um, I, I began to string the story together uh, using people like Tom Brokaw, Molly Safer, Peter Arnett, um, Peter Jennings, people who'd been in Vietnam with Eddie. And... Um, I would get very frustrated because I didn't have Eddie's voice. And every night I'd go to bed and, you know, pray to the heavens and say, Eddie, you've got to help me out here. And one day I was rummaging through a box and found um, an unmarked tape. And it was the footage of him walking through New York. And um, I had to work on it, you know, have a sound man fix the sound and shoot um his point of view of New York, but it, it worked out very well. I was very happy to find that footage. And also the footage, I've never seen the footage, uh, you know, of um, the incidents in Vietnam that uh, he documented with, uh, for, with still photography. Ah, uh, you're, talking, you're talking about um, the execution footage, the yes. Saigon execution footage. Right. I purchased that from NBC, actually. Oh, wow. And uh, it cost a fortune, wow. and they made me jump through hoops for it, actually, because they wanted to know what footage immediately preceded um, the, the footage that they were licensing and what, what footage preceded it, because they wanted to make sure that it was used properly. And, um, yeah, so that's where I got that footage. How about the footage of the, um, the girl running uh, from the village that was napalmed? I believe the same place. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think the position or inter, inter what do you call it, the intersection of two these two images was very uh, striking in the film because at first you thought you were just looking at a video and then all of a sudden you see how he captured it also and you yeah. see him in the you see him in the video right yes yeah. you, you see him i i highlight in him the actually police uh, execution of this uh yes. Viet Cong prisoner the the chief of police general Wan, was actually leading the prisoner down the street and eddie was one of the photographers walking along and eddie basically didn't think anything was going to happen. He thought it was just a prisoner being led to a jail, you know. And actually someone swiped Eddie's frame just a moment before, and then in one five-hundredth of a second, he captured the moment when General Wan's bullet was actually in the victim's head. It was still inside the head. Still inside the head, yeah. Did it actually go go out? Yes, it did, and and then it was, you know, pretty uh, gruesome yeah. footage. Yeah, and he, that. he talks about that in yeah. the film, yeah. Yeah, he, and did, he, he didn't choose to photograph that. Now, that was an iconic image, and uh, people say that that turned the American uh, people against the war, or started the shift. It, it did. It, it seemed to shift public opinion. I think after that photograph, people were really turned off about, you know, the the brutality of war, you know, and what were they doing there, you know? But he wasn't a peacenik, right? 
Eddie himself was not a peacemaker. No, I mean well, Eddie. Peacenik. I mean, yeah. Uh, no, yeah. Eddie. Eddie was a, a, a marine himself, you know, and uh, he was a nationalist, and I think he was proud to be an American, and he. He went to Vietnam and believed that, you know, we were doing the right thing. And I think probably over the course of time, he, like everyone else, as Tom Brokaw says in my movie, became disillusioned, you know? Yeah, and he didn't like um, that photograph. He said it was the wrong setting, the wrong lighting, and, um, you know, it, he didn't like it as a, as a photographer, as, as a photograph. Yes, I mean, he was quite self-deprecating about it. He said, you know, the composition was lousy, the lighting was terrible, it was the wrong time of day. And he actually didn't know that he had captured something that would be as important, you know. But what is strange is that um, this photograph, the Saigon execution, defined Eddie Adams. It gave him a Pulitzer, brought him world fame, and yet he was always haunted by that photograph because he had vilified uh, the police chief, you know. He had made him look like an evil man when in, when in fact the police chief was our ally, you know. And he got to know the guy later. Yes, Eddie, Eddie was quite fascinated with him. He, you know, he was apparently a very intelligent, well-educated man. And, um, you know, Eddie, Eddie went to visit him many times. One time he was sick and he went to visit him in the, hos in the hospital. And towards the end of his life, um, General One was... Um, able to secure passage to the United States, but his life sort of fell apart and he ended up running a pizza parlor in Virginia and Eddie went to visit him there and in my film he talks about how, um, you know, how it really hurt him to see him in that condition. A lot of war criminals are nice people too, right? Sorry? A lot of war criminals are nice people. I mean, you know, you, you don't execute somebody in the middle of the street. That's a, a war crime. It is a war crime, but apparently this um, Viet Cong had um, just for no reason shot a man and his wife and children just hours before. And he was a friend of the police chief, that family. And I think you know, it was more a crime of passion than a war crime, I think. But he did it in front of the media, so he knew he didn't care. Or he didn't know. Or he knew they were there, right? Obviously. Um, I think he was just, from, from what Eddie said, I think he was just overcome with emotion, General Juan. I think he was not a bad person. I think he was a decent man. And he was just overcome with emotion and, and just couldn't wait. He just fired, you know. He couldn't wait to bring the man to justice. But that's illegal, I mean, even under South Vietnam Absolutely. law. Absolutely, yeah. it's illegal. I'm not condoning it. I'm, I'm just saying, you know, those were the circumstances in which he did shoot the, the prisoner. How did, he, uh, how did he meet the other... I mean, he. how did he meet... Uh, 
And the other iconic photograph is of the girl that was uh, um, Kim, who was uh, uh, running away from the village after it was bombed by the U.S. Yeah. And um, the and he's he uh, and the photograph uh, was Nick Ut. Nick Ut, uh, who was the photographer, who's still uh, uh, working for them right now. I, I'm sorry, Nick Ut's still working for the Associated Press. Right. Yes. He, um, he's a very dear friend of mine, a wonderful man, and he was actually 19 when he shot that photograph. Wow. And um, immediately after he took the photograph, he scooped the young girl up in his arms and drove her to the hospital and literally saved her life because she was burnt, I think, on about 75% of her body. Yes, you see it actually yeah. in the film, in yes. the footage. Yes. And, and she now, Kim Fook, uh, the young girl grown up, um, lives in Canada and right. she goes around the world promoting peace and using that photograph, you know, to promote peace. For sure, yeah. Nick's uh, son actually went to UCI. Oh, did uh, he and, really? Yeah, he told me that. <laughs> ah, I think yeah. I met Nick's son. Um, Nick was honored uh, about a month ago by the Society of uh, uh, Journalists, I think. And um, I, Nick's son was there. I think I met him. Yes, he's been covering... Uh, I mean, at times I see him around covering events. Yeah. Um, on, in Little Saigon, for instance, uh, yeah. but he covers other other uh, issues, of course. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, this was the day um, Nick, uh, when I saw him, had a digital uh, camera, an Nikon. But of course, um, uh, Eddie Adams was uh, doing still photography, photography, and so he didn't know actually he had taken that picture. Uh, what he had taken, right? He just snapped it, and he didn't know in the execution picture that he had actually taken that particular shot. No, no. As with, you know, as with a lot of famous photographers and famous moments, you know, iconic moments like Joe Rosenthal, for example, who was Eddie's hero, who took the raising of the flag at Iwo Jima. Ah. Um, he didn't know that he'd taken that photograph either, you know. Because how did that work? Do you, did you find out how, they, how he sent the photo? What happened to the film? You know, did he, you know, have to send it somewhere else to be processed or what? Are you talking about Joe Rosenthal or no, about Eddie? No, I meant uh, about Eddie, sorry. Well, yes, I think they were, I think the photographs were sent uh, to headquarters and, you know, there was a time frame. It wasn't immediate like it is now. I think it was a number of days and then, sure. you know, I think he got notice a number of days later. You know, you also shot picture or had pictures in your film of had footage of the of the newspapers rolling off the presses. Yeah. Uh, was that a reenactment or was that some footage you were able to get? Um, <laughs> no, I didn't reenact it. No, um, it was some stock footage, cleverly edited with some um, some stuff that my cinematographer filmed. You know, so we we intercut. Oh. Um, Isaac Hagee, who is my cinematographer, a wonderful young man who came out of USC, um, he shot some some of the photographs, um, a, a, a number of, 
I'm, I'm sorry. He shot the execution photograph a number of different ways, and then we intercut the stock footage of the press with those photographs so that it looked oh, real. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Quotes, unquote. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the, um, you know, it's not like a typical biography in the sense of the film, because you don't talk about where he was born. I mean, you know, focus on his birth, his parents, and his family. You just go straight to the, you know, the what he's known for. Yes. Well, I, I found that um, the scope of his work was so was so large that I needed to I needed the time to to let the audience know the scope of his work, and by going into his personal life too much. I think I would have needed at least another half an hour, which <laughs> would, you know, truthfully would have been too much. At first, of course, my film was much longer, and I did have uh, some of his personal life in there, but I found it took too long and, and took away from, you know, Eddie's work, which I thought was the more important of the two. What, what did his wife feel about him running around the world? I think it must be very difficult for any war photographer's wife because, you know, you're kind of keeping the nest together at home, keeping all the pieces together, and they have a wonderful boy called August. And um, here he is, you know, in war-torn areas where she doesn't know if he's going to get killed because literally... Eddie is right there in the trenches with the soldiers, you know, with, I, I was at a screening in Chicago and, and uh, a gentleman who'd been in Vietnam said he remembered Eddie Adams, his face caked in mud, you know, yeah. right in there with, with the soldiers, with the infantrymen. Yeah, these days there's some uh, dispute over embedding uh, of uh, correspondence and uh, war, war journalists, uh, war correspondents in with the military, yes. people argue whether they actually are being used by the military. Did yes. that did that come up at all? Or, I mean, when you talk to Eddie or in your interviews with people, um, I think at Eddie's time they had an all-access pass. You know, Eddie Eddie was very friendly with the generals and. They would tip him off which areas were, you know, likely to uh, erupt. And um, I'm not sure if they were used. No, I, I would say not. I would say not because I think the photographers um, filmed what they saw. They weren't censored? Um, um, were they, I mean, were, did the, they didn't look at the photographs before because they, well, the film was sent to processing, so... The military didn't see it. Yes, yes, but I think I think there might have been some censoring, but not half as much as there is now. <laughs> you know, because yeah. I think after Vietnam, the right. Pentagon decided, you know, um, yes. we're not going to allow photographers this kind of access because it's, you know, counterproductive in a way. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It shows the reality. Of yeah, the war. I mean. Who is going to uh, condone war when you see such brutality up close and personal? You know, young children with their mouths agape in horror and 
you know, it's, um, no, it's a heinous thing. Yeah. And you, you mentioned uh, uh, Adam's son, uh, August. Yes. W was he born in the U.S.? Uh, yes, he was. So he, he was. this was, um, w so he, was this during the, this must have been during the Vietnam War or after? Um, afterwards, I think. Let me see. Um, August is now 19. So oh, okay. Yes. So, yeah, obviously. Yes, he's yeah. quite young. And he's actually a very talented photographer himself. He um, took a, a wonderful series of the New York subway. Mm. And, uh, you know, the family were all trying to encourage him to become a photographer. But it's a, you know, it's a huge mantle to bear following in your... Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And um, did he ever, um, I mean, what was his, you know, he, he did go back and uh, film the refugee exodus from Vietnam. And he, in the film, you, t uh, you have him talking about uh, jumping into a, a boat that was being pushed out into sea uh, yeah. by the Thai authorities. Yeah. Um, and uh, what impact did those photographs have? Well, you know, he took a series of photographs of the Vietnamese boat people, people escaping Vietnam, and none of the Asian countries would accept them, and, and America would not accept them, and they were just being, you know, they'd go out to sea on these rickety boats, and they'd be drowned and pillaged and by pirates, and uh, it was just an awful situation. And Eddie jumped on board a a 30-foot boat with 50 people on it with um, some, he bought some rice and some gasoline and took this amazing series of photographs. And he called it the Boat of No Smiles because he said that even though he'd, you know, been in lots of wars and lots of refugee camps around the world, whenever you pointed the camera at a child, the child would smile for the camera. And on this boat, the children were so sad that they didn't smile. And this series of photographs, The Boat of No Smiles, was presented to Congress. And because of these photographs, uh, Congress changed their ruling and allowed 250,000 Vietnamese into the United States of America. And the, the, because he wrote for the AP, his pictures appeared in papers all over the U.S. then? Yes, yes. And, wow. Did he, um, he later went on to write or to photograph for Parade magazine. Yes. Why did he do that? Um, well, he didn't want to. Um, <laughs> the CEO of Parade, uh, Walter Anderson, says that when Eddie came to his office to, for an interview, he told Walter Anderson very definitively that no way was he ever going to take a picture for Parade magazine. And he presented Walter Anderson with a list as long as his arm of demands that he felt that Walter Anderson would use as an excuse to tell him to walk. All right. And uh, after he'd finished his list of demands, which he'd written out, Walter Anderson said, all right, but we want to pay you double for your pictures. <laughs> and <laughs> Eddie was totally stumped, and uh, 
Walter said the blood seemed to drain from his face, and he said, all right, well, we'll, we'll try it once. And, of course, he took, you know, many, many amazing covers for Parade Magazine, and they had a, a very uh, healthy, good relation, working relationship. But Eddie used um, that time at Parade uh, to to shoot interesting photographs. You know, he went to uh, shoot Fidel Castro in Cuba. Oh, right. There's a whole uh, and, um, segment on that in your film. Yes. And uh, it's quite funny, actually, because the first time he went there, Castro kept him waiting for, for a week in a hotel room, and they kept promising Eddie that the next day he'd be allowed to photograph him. So after... Seven days, Eddie just told everyone, you know, that yet he was leaving enough, yeah, yet enough. and going back to America. And uh, so, on, he, the, on the plane, as they were about to get on the plane, they got a call saying Castro would meet. Yes. So they went back, and um, he didn't want to photograph Castro as we had seen him before. And Eddie had this idea that he wanted to photograph him doing some kind of sport. So Fidel said, well, what about duck hunting? <laughs> and <laughs> so there's this really bizarre footage of um, them both duck hunting together, and there's a wonderful shot in my movie of Eddie and Fidel both brandishing rifles, and at their feet are the 76 ducks that they've shot that day. 76, wow. Yes, and yeah. the, the, ta the tagline is, we ate duck for dinner that night. <laughs> Not Peking duck, but Havana duck. Right. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. So, uh, and also I was very thrilled to see the, um, the, the house he had built in the woods where he had this, uh, these workshops, I guess. Ah, yes, uh, Barnstorm. That, that is truly um, one of the most inspirational weekends. Um, there are ten top photographers. These are people who, you know, shoot Katrina, who shoot uh, Saddam Hussein being ha uh, led into court in shackles. Oh, wow. The people who are going around the world, you know, sh shaping history with their photographs. These ten photographers are there. And they give their weekend hands-on with a hundred aspiring young photographers. And it truly is one of the most inspirational experiences. They've had, I think, six Pulitzer Prize winners come out of that workshop. Is and it? it's wow. totally free. It's totally free. Right. He said he didn't want to charge. No. He no. wanted to base it on merit. Yes. Exactly. And how, uh, is that workshop series still going on? It is, indeed. Wow. It happens the first uh, week in October. Wow, that's really incredible. That's mm -hmm. a legacy, then. It really is. And, and I think in time it will be the most, his most important legacy because he's really, you know, even though he's now deceased, He's really he helping shape the lives of future photographers. Yeah, the new generation using digital yes. digital yes. photography. Yes. 
Well, I want to thank you for your great、uh, film, and I look forward to.、You. I know you're working on a film about the death squads and the killings of young people in、uh, Rio de Janeiro. I am indeed. That's an ongoing、um, project,、uh. project that I've been working with with Fair Play Pictures. But、um, my narrative film that I'm about to to make is is one based on a documentary I made seven years ago, and it's about a, a cop from East Los Angeles who takes a bunch of kids out of a gang. And turns them into a successful roller hockey team. Oh wow! Amazing. Yes, yes. That's amazing. Yes. Well, we look forward to that. Thank you very much, Sarah. Thank you so very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Bye bye. Uh, so that was Sarah Morgan Cooper, the director of this new documentary film, *An Unlikely Weapon*, which is the life uh, of uh, Eddie Adams, an AP Associated Press reporter. Who's best known for his iconic photograph of the National Police Chief of South Vietnam in 1968, executing a prisoner in Cho Long,、uh, in South Vietnam, and that picture is, it is said, led to the shift in American public, or beginning of the shift in American public opinion, as well as, of course, the protests on the streets. Uh, had a lot to do with that. This is Dan Zhang with Subversely. Next, we're going to bring you a dispatch from Making Contact, the National Radio Project. Stay tuned. <laughs>